You're now listening to J House Podcast Radio in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Yo, yo, yo. What's up, man? What is up, my brother? How are you doing today? I'm doing absolutely excellent. I'm super hyped, super excited for this episode. This is a a good and loaded uh, podcast for this one, bro. I'm happy. How about yourself? Oh, man, it's been another beautiful day. You know, God woke me up living life. I got no reason to complain. Amen. Amen. And And real quick, before we... Uh, even get into these topics i'd like to just take a personal moment and just say congratulations to you and tessa i saw the pictures of the baby shower Uh, i'm so excited for you guys Uh, i already know that that y'all two are going to be a parents uh congrats to y'all that's uh i'm so happy for y'all good job i'm proud of y'all Thank you, bro. That means so much to me, bro. Appreciate that, man. Thank you. Um, it was an eventful weekend, man. Baby shower. Um, yeah. Dad's birthday party. Shout out to my pops, turning 55. Glad to celebrate him and his life as well. Um, baby's doing good. Uh, on his way to a healthy delivery, man. So we're super excited, super happy. Thank you for, for your uh, kind words, man. That means a lot. Um Shout out to everyone who um, has just gave all the support. So thank you guys. Um, and then the sec, I mean, like the second half of our our podcast today, you know, because like I said, you know, I'm I'm super excited about. I was super excited about the baby shower. Super excited about my day. It was just a great blessed day, you know. And then yeah. on top of that, the second half of our podcast is about Kanye because he said something that just absolutely was like the cake like the icing on the cake on top of my day. You know what I'm saying? And so, but, but that's for the second half of the podcast though. Um, so yeah, but yeah, deep dive, give us a little bit of what's going on in this first half. All right. So this idea actually hit me last night because it occurred to me that with the possible exception of, you know, Zack Snyder's Batman v Superman, and the Snyder Cut, what film have we talked about on this show more than any other film? The Dark Knight. And and I know me, I come on this show, and every time we bring up The Dark Knight, I just go on and on and on about Mm -hmm. how I believe it's the, the best superhero film ever made, which, by the way, I stand by that. My opinion that has has not changed. Uh, I consider the Nolan trilogy as a whole 
to be something that not just changed superhero genres, but the movie genre as a whole. I think what Nolan did was just insane. But then it hit me, what if we devoted a segment, instead of just saying, oh, Dark Knight, Dark Knight, Dark Knight, best movie ever, best movie ever, best movie ever. Yeah. What if we took the time to explain to people who maybe have, haven't seen it and explain to them why it's arguably... Because I know you've got a lot of respect for, you know, Batman v Superman, and you might place it above Dark Knight, which is fine. Um, but I felt like it'd be awesome to explain to people why this film, or maybe just the trilogy as a whole, was so revolutionary yeah. and so great. And explain why do we love this trilogy so much? And right. so I have a couple of, of reasons listed and we can kind of dive in deep to this. Okay. Um, so th- this is my first reason for the dark night. And, and I, and, and think about this. Okay. The dark night trilogy as a whole, and, and we'll get more specific on the movie. This first point kind of has to deal with the trilogy, everything. Right. The, the thing about The Dark Knight that really sticks out to me first is I, I cannot think of another example of a film where we truly got to see the consequences of a superhero's decision. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, you see a lot of these films and, you know, they're great. But most of the time, it's you've got your villain, you've got your hero, good triumphs evil, the end. Yeah. Uh, as, as much as I love a lot of the MCU movies, I mean, I feel like that describes a great deal of them. Yeah. Even though I, I hold so much respect for the MCU. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I've said, I think there's a solid argument to be made that it's the greatest franchise of all time, certainly the most profitable and most dominant at the box office. And that's not even close. Um, But when we talk about the dark Knight, you know, you, you look at those three films and every decision Batman made, there was never a moment where it was just like, okay, Batman made the right decision and we're just all going to live happily ever after in Gotham city. Right. You know, Batman defeated, I mean, that never happened. And none. you look at the first movie. He made the decision, I'm not going to kill Reza Ghul. That's not what I do. I'm just not. I'm going to leave him here and tell this dude to explain to him what happened. And then we'll be cool. Right. That's not what happened. Right. Reza Ghul pulls up to Gotham and he's going to do exactly what he had already planned to do. Right. He. He told Bruce, he's like, yeah, I don't know what you thought was supposed to happen there. I was always going to come. So here I am. Right, right. And there's the argument to be made. Well, what if Batman in that moment would have just snapped his neck? What would have happened there? Maybe we could have avoided the whole craziness that happened. Yeah. And then you look at The Dark Knight, the, the, the second film... 
I think that was the ultimate example of what happens when you make decisions. Because you see in that film, I don't think I've ever seen a film where you really see the protagonist struggle so much to stay the hero. Like, you really see Bruce, like, you see kind of his life start to kind of spiral because he's like, being Batman, it's gotten to the point where I realize I can't be Batman and Bruce Wayne at the same time. At the same time, right. One one of these has got to go, and you can see throughout the whole film, he's desperately trying to take the mask off. Yeah. I I don't think I've ever seen a film where the hero is begging all but begging somebody to step up and say look i can't do this shit anymore right you know you're up and then of course we all know joker got his hands on harvey and and that was that right at at, at the end of the film we're faced with another decision that had consequences which is harvey dent becomes a mass murderer harvey falls to his death Jim and Batman, you know, they start talking. They think to themselves, Gotham cannot know that this guy, Harvey Dent, who, unlike Batman, was not controversial. Because, you know, Harvey was this public figure. He was supposed to be the hero. Yeah, he represented hope. He represented so many good things. Right. So how, how can you tell Gotham that this guy that we put up on such a high pedestal, we I believe in Harvey Dent. That was a slope. We believe in this guy. Harvey we Dent, love right. it. Yeah, we love Harvey. Yeah. How do we explain to Gotham that this same guy, at the end of his life, the last thing he did was hold the commissioner's 12-year-old son at gunpoint? How do we explain that to Gotham? And, and and still tell them that there's hope. Right. Because if Harvey Dent can be corrupted, anyone can. Yeah. And then, you know, in the third movie, what I really loved was they showed the consequences of not just Batman, but we got to see Jim Gordon deal with some demons. Because of the lie. Because right. at the beginning of the film, oh yeah, Jim Gordon had that speech ready. He His plan was, I'm going to retire and get rid of this Harvey Dent monkey on my back. Right. I got to get rid of it. Right. I can no longer live with lying. But he still couldn't tell the people of Gotham the truth about Harvey. Right. And so his plan was, I'll just, when the time is right, I'll make the announcement. Well, Bane got a hold of the speech, and we all know what happened there. That was epic. Top 10 all-villain speech of all time to me with Bane. Oh, my God. Dude, that's top three. Like, I can't think of many better. Yeah. I mean, obviously, Joker's why so serious speech may have been more bone chilling and just like, oh, shit. But Bane's speech there about giving Gotham back to the people, I mean, that that may have not been the shiver up your spine, but it was powerful. Right. But, you know, even Bane was you know, consequences of Batman's decisions. You know, him letting Ra's al Ghul die, Talia showing up to avenge her father. Yeah. You know, there there was never anything Batman did that did not come with 
some some serious consequences. Right. And so let me get your thoughts on that. Um, I absolutely agree because like and for me, I know people hold the Dark Knight being that ultimate sequel in esteem. But for me as a moviegoer, I'm always looking at the third film in that franchise, the one that's, you know, the most consequential. And this repeats itself over and over again throughout film history. You know, you look at A New Hope, then, of course, Empire Strikes Back, which is the the ultimate for for a lot of OG fans and a lot of fans, period. Um, and then we look at Return of the Jedi. You know, for me, out of that bunch, yes, Empire Strikes Back was significant. But then I love to look at the aftermath of that event in Return of the Jedi to see how it all unfolds. For me, that's how it was. Love Batman Begins. Absolutely love The Dark Knight. There's so much that you can break down in there. And for me, where where it all boils down to was what was the consequence of that second movie in the dark Knight rises. A lot of people wouldn't put rises as their favorite of all the dark Knight of all the trilogy. But for me, that's my favorite one, the dark Knight rises because, and I'll touch on a few aspects that you pointed out, you know, um, number one, um, Batman wanting to put down the mask, not wanting to be that hero anymore, not, you know, waiting for someone else to take over. And the Dark Knight trilogy is really the first, you know, Batman trilogy to tackle this, to, you know, show that, you know, Batman isn't, you know, he's not like the the one thing that that it got out of Batman fans minds for me personally was that Batman always has a way out. Batman always has it figured out. And the Dark Knight trilogy clearly showed that for the most part batman was equipped to handle these things on a physical level on a tactical level but on a mental level he can't always be prepared for everything there's not always a slick way out for batman and and we see this you know whether it be in batman begins um whether we see this in the dark knight especially where i think joker just absolutely like shut down everything you know joker said you know and i quote you know you have nothing to frighten me with you have nothing to do with all your strength all that macho i'm batman all that doesn't work you know joker totally made it useless you know he broke he went above the law you know this isn't sure you know I'm a criminal and I'm bad and I'm going to do what I want, you know, type criminal. This is one that is out to upset, you know, the balance of the world just because he can to bring out the worst in everyone. Um, We talked about the top villain speech, how we would say that all of those are in top three. For me, Joker's speeches are absolutely flawless. Every single last word he said in the movie. For me, though, I think Harvey Dent's is what stuck with me the most. You know, his ending speech about why he lost everything. You know, the Joker chose me and Batman admits it. He's like, because you were the one. You were the best of us. You were the one that was supposed to take over and I was supposed to step down. You were the one that was supposed to help uh, bring Gotham into a better place. And you fell. So once the people see that, then all of Gotham is doomed. And so, (laughs) and so, you know, there's that. And then also, um, this is the first film, 
I mean, The Dark Knight was real. The trilogy was really the first film where we saw the 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 love interest in the middle of all that die. You know what I'm saying? My secondary reference would be to The Amazing Spider-Man 2, which I, I think did a spectacular job of actually, you know, portraying the consequences of bringing people you love into these situations. But before then, it was Batman and Joker and uh, Rachel in The Dark Knight. You know, Joker blew her up, blew her sky high. You know what I'm saying? That was the price that Batman paid for having all of these people so close to him and Batman just exploiting and uh, Joker just exploiting that weakness. And it was what it was. It was sad. You know what I'm saying? It was unexpected. And both people were hurt by it, whether it was Batman or um, or uh, or Harvey. You know, Batman's over here thinking, you know, she was going to wait for me. You know, she was going to wait. She was going to, you know, be there. And then Alfred's holding that secret that, no, it actually wasn't. And that's what's so that's what's so great about Rises is that all of these lies and all of these things that Alfred did and what anybody done would have done to protect someone, whether it be Gordon, Batman, anyone, all of these lies catch up to all of them. You know what I'm saying? All of they just all flutter out and rises, you know, whether it be Jim lying about what happened with Harvey, you know, or whether it be Alfred, you know, finally admitting that she chose Harvey Dent, you know, what if I told you that she wrote a letter and in that letter, she said she chose Harvey Dent over you, you know, and what if to spare you pain, I burnt that letter. And I'm like, that's always so emotional because, you know, in the middle of trying to be a hero, there are a lot of things that you got to try to, you know, you try to just patch everything up because you, if you let it fly, it's going to destroy everything. And so I think the whole trilogy did an amazing job of that. And like, there, there's just so much, there's so much that you can break down in the dark night, in the dark night trilogy. That's so relevant. That makes it so significant for Batman and for superheroes in general. Um, it was also the first, um, I know we cite, I cite Watchmen a lot because Watchmen was that first, you know, film, superhero film that, you know, portrayed it, you know, bar for bar, you know, you know, script for script and then really brought it to life. But Watchmen was ahead of its time. It's much more appreciated now. The Dark Knight trilogy, though, was released in a time where it was like, OK, it's right on time. You know what I'm saying? Like, it wasn't too, you know. Hold on one second. I want to kind of just clarify something when we talk about, because I think this is an important distinction when we talk about Watchmen and when we talk about The Dark Knight. And and this is just me, and I want to get your thoughts on this. This is how come, Okay. for me, I'm more impressed with The Dark Knight movie than Watchmen. The reason being is, the material for Watchmen, Snyder really didn't have to change anything. He just said, I've got the book right here. I can just straight up go by this and we're going to turn this into a movie. Right. Now, the fact that he, now, the fact that he was able to take a hundreds and hundreds page comic book and condense it down to a three hour film is obviously hella impressive. But Nolan 
taking Batman and just having this vague idea of what if Batman had to face the consequences of his decision? What if like we just made the most realistic looking Batman? And that and, and that's something else that I find incredibly impressive was the way that they were able to do that and make it as realistic right. as they did. Right. And and I'll I'll recognize that distinction. And when I when I when I made the example for Watchmen, I'm just talking about overall in general. Like well, yeah. in in talking about any superhero being able to deal with anything, you know, any consequence, any lies, like anything. I think that it was ahead of its time on that. But when Chris did it for Batman, it was right on time for Batman. You know, because everybody knew the story about Watchmen from the comic. Everybody knew that that was how that was going to go. And for superhero movies to see that, it was it was before its time. But for Batman, everybody knowing who Batman was, you know, we're talking about, you know, Batman, you know, we're talking we talked about that period of time for Batman movies in previous podcasts where it was, you know, outside of Burton. We're talking about post Tim Burton. We're talking about, you know, the campy ones, the Batman Forever, the, you know, Batman and Robin, you know, theatrically. You know, it was about time for that update. So what I what I meant was that that update for Batman came right on time. It wasn't before or after its time. It wasn't overdue. It was right on time. This is what Batman needed in order to be revitalized for the culture. You know, to be revitalized for you know live action for theatrical. We already seen where you know frank miller could take him in the dark knight returns and then other comic books at that time you know but for live action though you know we needed that and so that's that's what i just to clarify that it was right on time there because there can be some projects that are before their time that get appreciated later but then there are those ones that are like right on time and batman like the whole trilogy was just right on time for Batman because it was about time. I think that trilogy was kind of the trilogy that we didn't know that we wanted it until we got it. That was just kind of like, we didn't even know that we'd love it like we did, but we did. Let me ask you this. This was kind of an interesting question that, you know, I was discussing, you know, I think hell froze over today because I was on Facebook earlier and I was discussing uh, in this DC group I'm in, we were talking about, you know, the Nolan trilogy, we weren't so much making comparisons between the Dark Knight and Batman v Superman. It was more yeah. of an in-depth discussion of why was one so universally loved like the Dark Knight trilogy was. Yeah. And why was the other, you know, div- so divisive and so, you know, polarizing putting it mildly yeah um but making it more specific you know a lot of people argue that nolan and snyder both kind of had the same i guess you could say overall objective to present a batman who is not everything's all rosy peaches yeah i think they both kind of had that you know overall Mm -hmm. vague area Right, but the right. question becomes, why is it that Nolan, you know, he wanted to present a Batman that's not 
you know, 100% happy with life. Yeah. And so did Snyder. So, I mean, I have a theory on this, but first I want to get yours. Why Mm. do you think that Batfleck was so polarizing because of his gritty tone and darkness, and yet Nolan's Batman, who was also pretty gritty and pretty depressing at times, seemed to be, you know, just getting all this great admiration. Um. My hands and feet are sweating just talking about this. I'm, this is this is one of my favorite questions. Um, well, see, and real quick, before you answer, I'm sorry to cut you off, but this for, for the listeners right now. No, this is not about to turn into an argument. Eric and I yeah. are not here to argue which Batman is better. That's yeah. just a, that, that's just a, a curious question. I have a theory on this, but we're going to get Eric's first. So go ahead. I just wanted to clear that up right. first. I got you. I got you. And that's understood. There's no, there's no, you know, argument going to be on that. Um, I, the reason why, and I stand by this strictly is because like, like y'all said, you know, Snyder and Nolan set out to start the, the same objective. Um, Zach was before his time with Watchmen. Chris was right on time with that, with the Nolan trilogy. And, I think the Nolan trilogy opened doors for Zach's films to be more appreciated from a superhero standpoint, because a lot of what spawned and a lot of what was done out of the Dark Knight trilogy, you know, opened doors for things to be more receptive for superhero films like that, should they chose to go that direction. And I think really the only other director who would have wanted to go in a similar direction as Chris did was Zach. And the only difference and distinction there between why I think one was so universally received and the other one was a little divisive was because, um, number one, I think that Nolan was able to focus. It wasn't a whole unit. It was just Batman. You know, we're talking about Batman, his rogues gallery, the people that surround his life and allow, you know, working on that and allowing that to be one whole work of itself. That is the Dark Knight trilogy. Um, Zach wanted to tackle the same issues, except for he wasn't just going to focus on the consequences of Batman and his decisions. He was talking about Superman's decisions and his consequences and how they affected not only Batman, but how they affected the whole world at large. When we're, when we talk about that storyline between Man of Steel and BBS, you know, obviously we had Man of Steel and those events that happened, but I think why Batman v Superman gets so much criticism is because the consequent, like nobody, we'd never seen anybody come at Superman and really give him that heat because, you know, innocent people died and such and such. And, you know, now they don't want you to intervene in government, you know, affairs. They don't want you acting rogue because you're so powerful and there's, you know, so really, I think the divi- the the divisiveness is is there because, you know, no one ever wanted to think about that. We're not used to seeing Superman get that kind of criticism. Um, I don't know why. Now, to answer your question about Batman and why Batfleck was so polarizing, I don't understand why. I honestly don't. He was dark. He was gritty and. And I think it's because people place Batman on such this high pedestal. I absolutely adore 
um, the fact that, you know, Christian Bale's Batman didn't kill or didn't take life. That's cool. And I totally respect that out of Batman. But for Zach to do what he did, you know, he wanted to bring Batman to a to a real level. And I think that didn't sit well with a lot of people because so many people put Batman on this pedestal. Batman is always able to find his way out. Batman always thinks there's another way. Batman is is such a morally righteous character, you know, but for some Batman fans, for me even, that comes across as annoying at times, you know, like we can look and I know people hate injustice, but I love it and I know you love it. I cite injustice too. That's like one of the best comic series ever. Right. I I cite injustice too, where Damien uh, kills Zaz. You know, he's like, how many women have you killed? And he's like, something, something, hundred, thousand, whatever. And he's like, oh, that sounds like, that sounds bad to me. And then he slits his throat. And Batman's like, Damien, you know, that's a line we do not cross. Blah, blah, blah. And then they fight. And then after the fight, you hear the pain in Damien's voice. He's like, this is always the problem with you. You think that you're you're better than these people. You know what I'm saying? You you allow allow the Joker to keep on killing and killing. You couldn't save Lois. You couldn't save anyone. And I'm like, that hit me deep when I think about it. I think about it daily. How many people does Batman allow? to die because stop you right there because we're not about to get on the subject of no 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 morality we're not gonna have this conversation that's not where i'm going that's not where i'm going the thing that what i'm saying is that i thought about that and i'm like maybe that fit that that gets fed up with a lot of people i'm not gonna go on go in on batman's morality and should he kill and should he not kill the point is that he he did he did in Zach's iteration, he did. He's been a veteran for 20 years. He's seen a lot. He's been through a lot. And so the polarization of Ben Affleck's Batman simply comes from that because he's just not a morally self-righteous Batman. He recognizes the world for what it is. 20 years in Gotham, Alfred. You know, we've seen what promises are worth. How many good guys are left? How many stay that way? You know, so Batman's starting to realize he's operating by a different set of rules now. And then on top of that, he's paranoid as heck because Superman is here now. Right. So now it's not even just about his daily routine anymore or how he deals with criminals. It's about Superman, you know? And so that's what makes his so polarizing. And then, then of course, people get mad at the Martha moment, of course. And, you know, which I think we don't have to get on Martha or any of that. I, I was just looking for talking about, you know, Ben Affleck's, like, just the darkness of it. Because because you you have, when you think about it, two dark Batmans. You know, you you have Christian Bale, who, in my opinion, you know, people can talk about, you know, the suffering Ben Affleck went through. But, I mean, for Christ's sake, we literally saw Christian Bale get picked up and broke over Bane's knee. Like straight, straight up, that man straight up broke Batman in two and talked shit the whole time while doing it. So yeah, but but very quick. So uh, overall, just so I'm hearing you correctly on on your theory, and you correct me if I'm wrong. Your, yeah. your theory is kind of multi part, but it basically stems from 
people don't like Ben Affleck's Batman because they're accustomed to seeing Batman being perfect. Is that kind of, is that fair? Yeah, it, yeah, that's that's a fair assessment. They're not used to seeing Batman in a place mentally so weak. And, you know, because we saw Christian Bale, of course, everything he went through. But, you know, he still rose from that. Even in Rises, he still mentally and physically recovered from that, you know, and came back to do what he needed to do with Ben Affleck's Batman. It takes a lot. It takes Superman dying and seeing his sacrifice for him to have a change of heart, sort of, you know what I'm saying, in a close, in a similar proximity. But yeah, people, people are not used to seeing it. They don't like seeing that, bro. Well, I understand where you're coming from, and I, all I can do is respect your opinion, but I, I actually disagree, and I used to have kind of the same mentality that you have on why people I, I used to think it was as simple as that. I used to think it was as simple as Ben Affleck's Batman killed, Christian Bale didn't, and therefore we have our difference and why people love Bale but hated Affleck. Um right. I think it's a bit more complicated than that. I my take on this is I think when we look at Christian Bale why he was so loved is we have a Batman who is flawed. He really is. I mean, I would submit that Christian Bale is probably the most flawed Batman. I mean, we saw, you know, Chris, you know, we saw Bruce Wayne desperately try to fit in and be the billionaire, but also try to be Batman. And we got to see him struggle with that. Mm -hmm. Christian Bale gave a, a, or uh, Christopher Nolan, gave us the most realistic Batman we've ever seen in terms of if we had a real life Batman, this is about the most accurate we can get for the simple fact right. of Ben Affleck's Batman is out there, you know, whooping 30 guys at once in just overpowered fashion. Right. So I'll, I'll also see, I'll, I'll say this and then I'll pass back over to you. I'll say this. Yeah, like you said, Christian Bale's Batman is a lot more is flawed because of, you know, more so to do with his parents death, him dealing with Joker and all these different things. Yeah, I'll admit that. I do. I will say I will see this to you that a lot of Batflex issues um, that he has being Batman were all centered around Superman and everything that he had to do. Yeah, we know his parents died, but all that is amplified times 10 by the problems that he's by the paranoia he has with Superman. So he's a lot more Superman centered, you know, as opposed to Bale just dealing with the things that are in front of him. But go ahead. Well, yeah, but I think what it basically boils down to is this. Christian Bale's Batman got a pass on being flawed because we could tell, okay, that's what they're going for. They want this Batman to not be the, the, you know, classic, everything's okay, Batman. Okay. And he was yeah. shown to be, okay, Batman, you know, the, Christian Bale had his moments of striking fear into criminals, but nothing to the effect like Batfleck or Keaton had, where, you know, the second Batman shows up, it's, oh shit, we got to get out of here. It's Batman. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we, we, gave, we gave Bale a pass on being flawed. But in this 
They they also killed. He also indirectly killed some people too. I mean, Keaton, not Bell. But you look at Ben Affleck. It, it, it there's moments where it really doesn't make sense for him to be as flawed as he was, given that he's also more so the comic book accurate Batman overpowered. Yeah. You know, watching him go toe to toe with Superman. Yeah. Christian Bale, Christian Bale's Batman would not have gone toe to toe with Superman like mm. that. It just would. It just wouldn't have happened. That would have been a two second. Not fight. in that realistic but universe when, he lives in. No way. I, I think Snyder tried to do something very ambitious, but also very difficult to pull off. What Nolan did was he said, I'm going to make this film as realistic as possible. Yeah. This film will be as grounded and as realistic as a Batman movie can be. Scarecrow's not going to walk around in a Halloween costume. He's going to be a guy with one yeah. mask. And his fear doesn't come from these fancy needles. Yeah. It comes from this bag he sprays. Right. You know, Joker's not going to have an acid-spitting flower, nor is he going to have completely bleached skin. He's just a guy with makeup. Right. Bane's not going to have venom coming out of him. He's just a regular assassin. Yeah. So it was all realism. Yeah. Snyder tried to do a combination. Well, let, let me go back to Michael Keaton's Batman to kind of hammer this home. Keaton's Batman was 100% comic book. It's Batman. Batman's going to fuck up everybody because he's Batman, and he's going to save the day. Right. What uh, Snyder tried to do, it's incredibly ambitious, but it's also, you know, when you do something ambitious, it's hit or miss. And I'm kind of on the side of it was a hit because from Batman v Superman, I do like Ben Affleck. Snyder tried to combine both. Snyder tried to have a Batman who is overpowered, who basically can beat anyone you put in front of him in a fist fight. He's a badass. Yeah. But at, but at the same time, we're going to have these realistic elements yeah. in it. We're going to have these moments where, you know, Bruce Wayne is having PTSD over the loss of his parents. Yeah. You know, we're, we're, we're going to have these moments where, you know, he's just on killing sprees. Right. We're going to have that. And so I, I I think for a lot of people, Bale got a pass because it was kind of understood, okay, this is a grounded, down-to-earth Batman. Batman. Yeah. He, can, he, he can be vulnerable. But to see Ben Affleck's Batman, who is so overpowered like Batman typically is, yeah. to see that kind of Batman be that vulnerable and that flawed, a lot of people are, were probably thinking, why is he that flawed? Like, this isn't Christian Bale we're talking about. With Bale, we get it. He's a regular guy. Yeah. But this Ben Affleck, they seem to be going for comic book Bruce Wayne, playboy Bruce Wayne, yeah. badass Batman. But why is he still so flawed? Now, of course, I understand what Zack Snyder was trying to do. So, I mean, of course, I'm asking hypothetical questions here. Yeah, yeah. But but that that's kind of my theory. I think that Bale got the pass because it was blatant, it was realism. Yeah. Snyder tried to do something very ambitious and combine the two. Right. And I 
think for and I think that's why it's so polarizing. Yeah. And I think that's why some people saw that and thought, oh my God, this is amazing that Snyder would do something this ambitious. Yeah. I mean, and I'll concede this, it was certainly the most ambitious project any director has taken on in a superhero film. I concede that. Yeah. Um, but I also think that's why some people thought, wait a minute, what, what, what kind of Batman is this? Right. Is this a overpowered Batman who's going to save the day and, you know, always be right? Or is this flawed Batman? Yeah who's allowed to make mistakes. And I think Snyder was trying to show, no, he's both. Right. He's both. This is, this Batman is overpowered. Yeah. As as was shown in the beat down, he put on Superman. Right. And the beat down, he put saving Superman's mom, which to this day is my favorite Batman scene. Cause I mean, yeah. damn. Uh, I mean, we'll have to see what Pattinson can do, but yeah, damn. Uh, so I think some people seeing that they're like, you know, how can you have it both ways? Right. Now, regardless of my opinion on Jesse Eisenberg Lex, uh, the the CGI of Doomsday, yeah, Doomsday's origin, regardless of my opinion on that, I do believe I have been consistent on liking Affleck because yeah. I saw what Snyder was trying to do, and I thought it was, I thought it was a good direction, but I do think. That's what rubbed people the wrong way. They thought, well, how can we have both? How can we have this Batman who's so overpowered, but at the same time, he's so flawed? Right. So I think that's where the negativity for for Ben Affleck came in. Yeah. I I can definitely agree with that. And I agree with you. I think what Snyder did with Batman was a definite hit. But for the other half of people, it's like, how can we have this thing both ways? Because it's it, it you sort of tug at the war of mine with that. How can you have it um, both ways? And so, yeah, it's definitely something that's unprecedented with Batman. And I think that Robert Pattinson's Batman is even going to do. He's going to do a great job of doing that too. I think I think they're going to bring something incredible to that. But um, we've meet we've reached a forty minute mark. Ten minutes over break. <laughs> But that's all right, because this is such a good, such a good subject to dive deep on. We're going to take our ad break and then we'll be right back in just a few moments. Here's a word from our local sponsor and we'll be right. With Don't miss the second half, people. This is going to be a great discussion. It's going to be a good one. It's going to be a good one. This is JL's Podcast Radio. We'll be right back with you. What's up, bro? What up? Chilling, man. We are back from commercial break. I got a phone call from my family. That was crazy. FaceTime almost at the for the pot of the uh, pod. I was like, "What the world?" But um, but yeah, man. Welcome back. Welcome back, everybody from break. Um, this been a conversation I'm excited for right here. This. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I was excited to talk about the Dark Knight because we love that. But this right here, I have been looking forward to this conversation all day because I know you and I have the same sentiment on this. We have the same views. We talked right. about it earlier. This is going to be a great discussion. I can't wait. Eric, what are we talking about? So, as I said earlier in the podcast, I was already having an amazing day. Celebrated a birthday. Celebrated a uh, celebrated a baby shower for my son. Uh, celebrated my dad's birthday. I was already excited. So, the icing on the cake 
is when one of the greatest musical artists of all time and one of the greatest fashion designers of all time, one of the most controversial voices of all time, recognizes the 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 significance of the Star Wars prequels. And I'm like, bro, I'm just absolutely like losing my mind as I watch and listen to what since Disney took sequels. And for Kanye to say it, it's like, bro. So 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 and like you said, we share the same sentiment. So for those who don't know, I'm about to go ahead and play the clip from Joe Rogan's podcast. It's just a little short few seconds where Kanye explains um, why the prequels are so awesome and what they mean to him over the sequel trilogy. Made me mad right here. The first time you see me get mad in an interview. They said that George Lucas's prequels are worse than the corporate made Disney Star Wars. I'll get mad at that, too. Like That's, that's fucking ridiculous. <laughs> Revenge of the Sith, we saw how Darth Vader was made. Yeah. Like, I watched that like 10 times during COVID. <laughs> like, don't jump in again. No. I got the high ground. Those early like, movies were pure. Yeah. yeah, they were pure. I'm, no, no, I'm saying even the prequels are better than anything that, and I'm sorry, Disney Star Wars design team. I know you're going to like put my face up in the, you know, office and be like, but get cut. No, man, this is George. This is his baby. That thing was set in his heart to show us as children the hero's journey, mm -hmm. you know, and these, these like, how can we run it back and replay? Like, even at Disney, you know, there's there's people, you know, at um, Pixar that have left. People have left, you know, where um, uh, they call, I've, I forgot the exact title, but saying, like, every time is a new idea, they call it like an unproven idea. So they'll get to Toy Story 800,000 and Frozen Trillion before there's a, a new concept. Right. Uh, to, to take a chance on. Yeah, to take a chance. Yeah. I think there's a So there you have it, folks. Kanye West on live air with Joe Rogan discussing the importance of the prequels and and why and and he saw it so clear and i'm gonna get your your thoughts on this as well but i'm, I'm gonna keep it short and then pass it over to you what kanye said was so freaking profound because number one it shows that he understands that through star wars there's always meaningful substance there's always an original idea and people's reception for george lucas whether they hate or love him, this was what was set in his heart as kind of keyword. It was set in his heart, the way he betrayed Anakin, the way he betrayed Padme, that romance, Obi-Wan, you know, the politics of the Senate, the Clone Wars, you know, the Sith, you know, all of that was set in this man's heart un since 1977. But as George Lucas always states out, he did not have the technology of his time to tell that story that he wanted to make, you know, that he wanted to complete. Of course, he told the story he wanted with the original trilogy. It was just the back half of a finishing trilogy. He had to go back and finish it to complete the whole story. And so now that we get the whole story, we see the full glory of Star Wars and how amazing it is from from front to back. You know, whether you grew up as a prequel fan or whether you grew up as a, an original trilogy fan, 
you know, for me, I grew up with the prequels, but I still understand the significance and what they played and how the originals uh, were set up and how they brought the originals, um, you know, even more, you know, substance. And so, like, it just blew my mind. And I was so freaking excited that someone like Kanye, as a creator, understands this um, and understands, like, and, and Joe Rogan said, the prequels are pure. And I and I agree with that sentiment in terms of pure story. You know, of course, okay, we can talk the acting. Okay, it has some moments, but overall, the story and what George was going for was not overshadowed by any of that. Because even though, you know, people can try to pan Phantom Menace, at the end of the day, you still learned about the rule of two. You still got to see Darth Maul. We still got to see the first double-bladed lightsaber. We got to see how Jedi fought in the ancient times that Obi-Wan spoke about in The New Hope, the the guardians of peace and justice. We saw how the universe was set up pre-Empire. Even at the end of Attack of the Clones, we got to see the clones in action. The first battle at Geonosis, you know, Revenge of the Sith, you already know what went down. So there's something so pure about seeing those first moments with the prequel trilogy that just makes them so much more beloved and and arguably one of the most important eras in all of Star Wars. But go ahead, man. What, what are your thoughts on this? I could not agree more with everything that Kanye said. I think the most profound statement he made was actually something that wasn't in the clip you sent me, because I think you let that clip play on a little bit longer than the one you sent me. Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah, I played it a few seconds. Because Kanye made a, a, a very profound point. He was talking about, you know, Disney will make Toy Story 8,000, Frozen 1 million. They will milk the hell out of a franchise before they try something new. Right. Because, look, we've had, what is it now, five Pirates of the Caribbeans after the third one? Yes. Was was advertised as being the last. Remember that? The third one. That was supposed to be it, and that should have been it. Yeah. Because I really thought Pirates of the Caribbean 1, 2, and 3, that's a great story. Yeah. You know, you know you've got Davy Jones, your your main villain that you're building around, and everything comes down to this showdown between Jack and Davy Jones. And that was a perfect story. It was that- Once we got past that, we're like, what, what do these last two films have to offer right. outside of, look, Captain Jack Sparrow's back on the big screen. Isn't that cool? Give us your money. Yeah. You know, that's kind of how it felt. Yeah. And that's really how I felt watching minus Rogue One every single prequel or a sequel movie, my mistake, every sequel movie was, you know, what purpose does this movie serve? And we were kind of talking about this because this is my stance. I concede that the sequels have the best visual effects and the best acting of not just the prequels, but also the original trilogy, just from pure acting and visual effects. To me, the sequels are the best. But where they fall short and where I start to say, and this is why I say I don't like them very much, is the story. 
Um, because in, in the prequel trilogy, you know, we can say whatever we want about Hayden Christensen and Attack of the Clones. We can say whatever we want about Jar Jar Binks. All of those movies had a purpose. Yeah. All of those movies overall completed the story. Yeah. And it's a great story. You know, even though I'm not a big, you know, uh, Phantom Menace, it's not my favorite. It showed Anakin's life and it showed the boy was a slave. Yeah. You saw that, you know, he's, he's a scared little boy. Yeah. And then in the second one, he's just pissed off. Right, right. Because, you know, his mom gets killed. He's got this anger problem and, you know, all that. And then finally in the third one, which to me is my second favorite Star Wars film ever, second to only Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. But, I mean, my God, I'll defend Revenge of the Sith till I die. Right. That was that was a great movie. Um, you know, in that one, we got to see Anakin. You know, you, you had all this suffering. He's a slave. His mom gets killed. There's all this stuff. And then finally, the icing on the cake, the Jedi Council gets up on their high horse, even though Anakin just bailed out Obi-Wan Kenobi and single-handedly killed a Sith Lord. Yeah. Which is something that nobody else on that council could do. Right. And before... I'm sorry, my bad. And before anyone says, oh, wait, Obi-Wan did it. No, he did not. He defeated Darth Maul, but Maul was not dead. He was still alive. So technically, Anakin was the first person to kill a Sith in over a millennia, or however many years it was. But go ahead. Sorry. Well, but Darth Maul was a Sith apprentice. He wasn't even a Sith Lord. Yeah. That's the that's the difference. Count Dooku was a Sith Lord. He wasn't just he wasn't merely an apprentice to Palpatine. He also had the army of his own with the uh, with the droid army. That was his army. Yeah. Uh so he was his own Sith Lord. And Anakin single handedly took that man out. Yeah. You know, because, you know, where was Obi-Wan? Oh, he got knocked the hell out. He's laying over there. You know, yeah, he, he's over there with 100 tons of metal on him. Yeah. You know, and then after that, Anakin took the mantle, and he's like, all right, here's the rematch, 1v1, and he cut that man's head off. Yeah. After he cut his arms off. I mean, damn. It was- and then after all that, the council tells him, yeah, even though you just straight up defeated Count Dooku, Save the Chancellor, and somehow managed to get your best friend Obi-Wan out in one piece. We don't know how you pulled off all that, but yeah, still, no, yeah, you're not a master. You're not like us. Even though you've taken on all the most dangerous missions during the three-year destructive Clone Wars, you're still not a master. I mean, think about this. I just thought about this. Anakin did something that Yoda couldn't do. Which was? Killed Dooku. Because I just remembered. Yoda went head up with Count Dooku. Yeah. And Count Dooku got away. Anakin didn't let that man get away. So he did something that Yoda failed to do. And that wasn't enough. And so finally at that point, Anakin's like, all right, to hell with all y'all. 
I don't know what I got to do to please y'all. I don't know what it's going to take. I can't do this crap anymore. Right. And then, you know, that's when, you know, Palpatine starts whispering that little whispers in his ear. They're just scared of you, man. They know who you are. They know good and damn well that you're the chosen one. They're just intimidated by you. Right. And to watch Anakin come to the dark side like that and become Darth Vader. I mean, that was a, you know, even though my stance has been, you know, watching Anakin, you know, simp over Padme like he did was cringe, which it was, um, that's neither here nor there. Revenge of the Sith was so perfect in showing how this good slave who's just like this sweet little boy who lives with his mom. He's very shy, very timid. How he becomes the most ruthless killer the galaxy's ever seen. Yeah. You know, that scene of him killing younglings. I mean, good God. Right. I mean, I know that I know they left that to the imagination, but still. To imagine. And so when we compare. Yeah. Yeah. But like I said, every movie served their purpose. Yeah. Uh, You know, Phantom Menace, Slave Boy Anakin, you know, and then at the very end, it's revealed. Obi-Wan tells him, Qui-Gon wanted me to train you. And as, you know, I promised my master, I train you. So I'm going to train you. Yeah. Great. Great ending. The second one. Anakin and Obi-Wan, you know, we get to see those boys in action together against Count Dooku. Yeah. Big time scene. You know, I'm not going to stand here and nitpick, but I don't like Sand Speech because that final fight on Geonosis was epic. Yeah. Great ending. Right. Third that ending, holy shit. Obi-Wan's speech to Anakin about you were the chosen one. Like, that will rip your heart out. Yeah. Because you had seen these boys go to battle together. They put their lives in each other's hands. Anakin, at the beginning of the movie, saved Obi-Wan in remarkable fashion. And now they're trying to kill each other. Yeah. Like, damn, that's sad. But then compare that to the sequels. They made us wait. Like, uh, Let me think. Uh, Force Awakens came out in 2015. 2015. When did Last Jedi come out? Last Jedi was, I think, 2016, if I believe. Let me see. 16, or 17. Let me see. Yeah, I, I believe it was... Uh, double check, double check. It was 2017. Yeah, 2017. But they made us wait two years after Force Awakens comes out to tell us that Luke Skywalker is basically just a grumpy old hermit. Yeah. That's what they waited to tell us. You know, because in the prequels, there were a lot of big reveals. Like, oh, man, that friendship between Anakin and Obi-Wan, they were best friends. Yeah. Damn, this sucks. And that, you know what that does? That really adds to their fight in A New Hope. Yeah. It really adds to that. Because even though, yeah, back then, by today's standards, that's kind of a boring fight because of the times. But still, when you right. think about the story, that fight has a lot more intensity to it. It's got some weight to it because of what Obi-Wan talked about. Exactly. Yeah. And there's really nothing in the first six that point to anything 
that happens in the sequel trilogy. Right. That, that there's really nothing that the, the originals or the prequels did to make you think, okay, a sequel trilogy is coming. We didn't need a sequel trilogy. The, the sequel trilogy, to me, added absolutely nothing yeah. to Star Wars. Nothing, not a damn thing. Yeah. Because, you know, Luke Skywalker, arguably the most popular protagonist in the history of ever. This is Luke Skywalker. Disney made us wait all that time because we see Luke at the end of Force Awakens. And when I first saw Force Awakens, I actually liked it because I was kind of like, okay, this ending, Ray's about to go through some vigorous training with Luke. He's going to get her ready. And this is going to be epic. And we're going to get this epic Snoke versus Luke Skywalker showdown. This is going to be some next level shit right here. Nope. Right. Nope. Not not even a little bit. Not even. Not even. We got this sequel trilogy was the king of we're going to hype this thing up just to take it away from you. Yeah. Like, like, oh, you think you're going to get an epic lightsaber showdown between Luke and Kylo Ren at the end of Last Jedi? Well, keep dreaming. That's not happening. You don't get that. No, Luke's not even there. And we're just going to make him disappear. That's how we're going to send off Luke Skywalker. He's just going to fucking disappear. That's it. That's the end of Luke. And, you know, as a movie... With, if you go see the sequel trilogy and, it, and it's just, this is a movie. Like, you're not a diehard Star Wars fan. Right. I could see how you could enjoy it because there is stunning visuals and good acting. But what do I always tell you, Eric? There are two major things that I care about when I'm watching a yeah. movie. This is the same two. It's always going to be the same two. I want interesting characters and well-told stories. I got neither of those in the sequel trilogy. Man. I, no. I got neither. Neither. Not one. And the rare interesting characters that they did have on Slate going into it, Han Solo, Luke, and Leia, you know, Han Solo, we're just going to fucking kill him off. Yeah. Which I guess... Han Solo's death may be the only death that I'll say, okay, maybe that needed to happen to progress Kylo Ren. Okay, fine. But Luke Skywalker? What the hell was that? Like, because to me, that just kind of, that set the message to me, get over your OG characters and start loving the new ones. Just get over it. And the, the disrespect shown to Luke Skywalker throughout that whole film was just awful. Like, for them to take him and make him, just because one student went rogue, one student goes rogue, and Luke can't forgive himself. Yeah. Luke is just so miserable. He's so mad at the world. He's so pissed off. He's not even going to train Ray outside of the forces, everything, and lift this right. rock. 
You know, it was just so disrespectful. There was no need for these movies. And that's why I think they fall short. So back to you. Yeah, and I, and I totally I agree with that, bro. There was no basis for anything. You know, and I always tell people, people are always talking about, you know, oh, the original trilogy was so amazing. Okay, but do you know why that is? Do you understand the 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 context of why that is? You know, people overlook A New Hope all the time, but I'm like, really pay attention and soak in what Obi-Wan is telling Luke on Tatooine, you know, about the Jedi being the guardians of peace and justice, you know, in the old Republic and, and setting that whole backstory for a story that they wouldn't even see until like 30 years later, 20, 30 years later, but setting the groundwork for that nonetheless so that fans would know that there was something before all of this, before the Empire, before Vader, you know, before Luke came along, all of this, you know, a, a pretense was set, you know, we were the guardians of peace and justice in the old Republic, you know, you know, I didn't know my father fought in the Clone Wars, I thought he was just a, a, a mine, a space uh, miner or, or something, he's like, that's what your uncle told you. You know, your dad was one of the greatest Jedi of all time. He was one of the greatest starfighters in the galaxy, a cunning warrior, and he was a good friend. All while Ben is just laying this groundwork and also not telling Luke the full truth because of what we're going to hear in uh, episode five and six. Excellent storytelling and foreshadowing. And then after you tell that story, George is like, okay, let me go ahead and take you back to what Obi-Wan was talking about in episodes one, two, and three. Let me talk to you about this slavery ordeal. Let me talk to you about the politics of of the Senate and how Sidious came to power. Let's talk about the Sith and where, you know, Darth originated from. Let's talk about, you know, all of these things, how the old Republic was set up, you know, how we meet Padme and who Obi-Wan's master. Let's talk about all of this, you know, the rule of two, you know, then we switch over to the Clone Wars and then you know, all of that that's happened, you know, the basis of Anakin, of Anakin and uh, Padme's relationship, you know, the the Kaminoans and all of this sort of stuff that lays the groundwork for why the Clone Wars happened. Then we get the Clone Wars, you know, and then we get the whole series, which you can watch from season, whether it be the micro animated series or whether it be the newly updated series that just finished. You can watch both of them and still get the same completement and completion and fulfillment sense of what's going on and how you know the empire came to be whichever canon you choose to go with you know but george created the newer clone wars strictly for that reason to tell more story in the clone wars to you know fill in more gaps and to do more fulfillment thank dave filoni for still taking direction from george and understanding what he had to do in and then we get Revenge of the Sith, my first Star Wars movie I ever saw in theaters. To me, in my heart, the greatest Star Wars movie of all time. And then, you know, that whole second half of that movie from Order 66 all the way to the end, nothing but a bloody masterpiece. You know, the whole thing, the whole tragedy, the betrayal, you know, the fight, everything, uh, Palpatine deceiving the Senate, just all of it, just like it makes perfect sense now. Now I understand what Ben was telling Luke. Now I understand how Sidious came to power. Now I understand what happened to Vader, how Luke and Leia were born. Now I understand this all. 
and it makes perfect sense. By the time the credits set and you see Obi-Wan hand Luke and Leia off, you're perfectly satisfied and you understand every single freaking thing. And all six movies come together in a crescendo of pure like epicness. And it's just like the greatest story ever told from one through six all the way. Whether you watch it one through six or whether you watch it four through six and then go watch one, two, and three, you'll understand it either way. You'll be like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. But for me, it was one through six in that order. And then boom, it's just like, wow. So that being said, George establishing what he wanted, Disney takes the helm. And like you said, to your point, you know, and with what Kanye said, Disney will rehash a story 50 billion times before they ever think about trying something new. Oh, yeah. I mean, look at how many movies Disney's made as of late that have been remakes of movies they've already had. Pretty much everything. Like Mulan? Garbage. It was terrible. Cheap. I still haven't seen it, and I mean that's what I keep hearing. I can't really give an opinion Don't on waste it, but time. I mean people people are really shitting on. Don't waste movie. your time because eventually it's gonna get old. These rehashes of live actions and nothing original, it's gonna get old. Letting your projects bleed into each other, which for all the trillions and billions they have at Disney, you can't come up with something better than that. You can't like okay, so we get TFA. And I let TFA slide, minus the ending where Ray beats a fully trained, you know, Dark Lord, even though she's never fought with a lightsaber before. That never makes sense to me. Obviously, you're so sad for saying that, Eric. You ought to be. I'm not. That's such. That's such a sexist thing to say. Like, come on, Eric. Girl power. Come on, Eric. Bro. God. Bro, I can't believe you. That's hilarious. God. Like I like <laughs> it's funny because those are the exact things that people people say. And like for all the hype around Force Awakens, people understood, you know, okay, yeah, that was cool and all. But then afterwards, when you really think about it, like, really? Should she have won that fight just because like that? You know what I'm saying? And then we wait two years. For the Last Jedi, and I'll say this: the Last Jedi is one of the most visually pleasing of the sequel trilogy. I'll say that much. But then you hit us with this. You know, we get to see Snoke for the first time. I thought his throne room scenes were awesome. You know, you let you know you get you know beat by a girl who's never held a lightsaber. You fail, and then I'm like, hold on, Snoke, but that's not his fault, bro. That's actually the writer's fault. So you can't really like. You know what I'm, but oh well. And then, you know, Leia, which obviously, whether people disagree with it or not, it was to me, it was logical for her to do that because she, you know, in the fashion she did it. Okay, we can talk about that. But Leia was always force sensitive. Luke said he would teach her in time in episode six if she wanted to. So that whole thing, okay. But then you kill off Snoke, and then you have. Oscar Isaac's Poe Dameron, who's a total waste of time trying to figure out what's the plan, what are we going to do? And this whole movie's just leading nowhere. You know, Admiral Holdo's like, just trust me, I have a plan, just listen to me, because you're a hothead, you know, you're you're a hot-headed guy, and I'm a woman, and I'm in charge. And I'm like, oh my god. And turns out the plan has 
just run like hell. Yeah, the whole plan was just run like heck. There was no plan. You ran the crate. Nobody answered your call. And then, okay, Rise of Skywalker. Here we go. You kill Snoke. We don't know who's back. Hey, we're going to patch this up. Let's throw Sidious in there. Awesome move. Exciting move. But still, at the end of the day, it shows that you didn't know what you were doing. So you're just going to run back to the one thing that you know is going to guarantee success. And that was Sidious. So, you know, and okay, that's fine. But it didn't it didn't work out that way. It's not like Spectre and how, you know, Barbara Bacoli and the team didn't have rights at the time. So they did Quantum and then was able to work out that Quantum was a subsidiary of Spectre. And that's how we understand everything that's happened in Daniel Craig's James Bond saga. It's not like that. That worked out. That's a successful retcon. That works. You know what I'm saying? But your first two movies in the sequel trilogy are going nowhere. You've killed off two original trilogy characters within the first two movies already. And then Luke is dead. Like, what? And it makes no sense. So, and I understand all that that he was trying to teach Ray, but all that, and he taught her nothing. He taught her nothing. Exactly. She still- what did teach her? Like, like, what did Ray learn that she didn't know prior to meeting Luke? Talking, I mean, I don't know. Talking about that there was like, you know, a balance. There's like, you know, there's good, there's life, and there's death, and then there's, you know, all in between it, there's balance in the force. That's understandable. I get that concept. Yes, there is balance in the force. But that doesn't erase the fact that you're going to have to pick a side. You can't just be neutral. That was Han Solo's whole storyline in the original trilogy. He couldn't just be neutral. He had to be involved one way or the other, for the Empire or for the Rebellion. So I'm like, what is your point? Like, so... I mean, yeah, so that happens. And then you do Rise of Skywalker, bring back Sidious, you know, all that, you know, hey, Snoke was just someone I created. And then within the first, like, we were there out in front of AMC in Fairhope. We did the pre-podcast. And then I'm expecting for them to lay this whole thing out. And then it's just like a head rush. The first 45 minutes of this movie is completely rush, 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 you know, cut, 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 cut to this, cut to that. This is how we're passing it all up, trying to hurry up and pack this thing in so that they can understand that this was all Sidious. Now, oh, so you've disregarded every prequel term that you can find within your first two movies because you made it abundantly clear that you want to be an original trilogy uh, knockoff. You made that abundantly clear, but now in Rise of Skywalker, you're throwing around terms like Sith. You're throwing her. Oh, now Ray's reading the ancient Jedi text. Like you're throwing around all these prequel terminologies. And I'm like, Oh heck no. Nah. Okay. You well, want to hold on, Eric. Go ahead. Eric, I'm going to stop you there. I'm going to stop you there real quick. I, I give Disney a pass for rise of Skywalker. And, and, and in the words of Stephen A. Smith, here's the reason why. Um, I respect the fact that Disney acknowledged that they screwed up in Last Jedi. Because it's like I told you when we were eating before we went to see the movie. I said the name of this film could be Star Wars Episode Nine: Fuck the Last Jedi. 
Yeah. That, that's seriously what they could have named this film because this entire film was we're going to undo it all. Yeah. Like, you want Ray to have an actual backstory? You got it. You want to have an actual major villain? You got it. You got it. it. You, right. got it. Right. you want an actual fight at the end of this film? We'll give you that, too. So let me ask you this, and then I got a little bit more to say. Because I know there's a lot of people that share your sentiment, and this is my question to all of you. Yeah. What What would you have rather had happen? Because we had two options. Yeah. Disney had two options with the ninth one. They could have either A, do what they did, which is realize the mistake yeah. they made and try to fix it, or they could have doubled down on what they did in the eighth film. Yeah. They could have doubled down on that. And and rode the trilogy out that yeah. way. Which which would you have rather had? I'm I'm I would rather have them done it the way they did it with Rise of Skywalker. I'm not. I give them a pass for what they did. I've told you this in the past. I give them a pass, and I thank them for acknowledging that. The YouTube video for that review was called Star Wars: Rise of Skywalker: The Apology That Came Too Late, but nonetheless, it came. So I'm glad they did that. I'm just simply ranting on about the way that they did it you know what i'm saying so you know everything from the movie even down to the marketing using the prequel music and the tv spots i was like okay they're trying to appeal to me they're trying to get pull us back in because this is you know they're not including a certain era or they're trying to pull everybody in and i'm like okay i can get with that but in retrospect it still irks me that you, I mean, I was still, I was still kind of upset that like this, the trilogy was like kind of wasted, but they tried to fix it, but it was a head rush going into there, and I'm like, okay, you know, I get this now. This is on some like Star Wars extended universe type stuff. This is like okay, and it, I, I definitely felt that from them, and I'm happy that they did, but I, I'm just, I was just simply expressing the way that they went about it and how I felt at the time, which was oh. So now you want to tell a story. Now you want to give some context. Hmm. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, and and I agree. But I mean, my whole thing is, I think Disney. I give them props because with the ninth one, I, the ninth movie was the only one where I actually felt like this is a Star Wars movie. Yeah. This is Star Wars. Watching Palpatine shoot up that Force lightning. Because, you know, we had that scene where, okay, the Rebels are here. Hell yeah, they're about to win. And Palpatine's like, oh, really? Here, try, check this out, bitches. I was like, damn, okay. Yeah. Now, and, and we can talk about that the way that, you know, Ray beat Palpatine was verbatim the way Tony Stark beat Thanos. Yes, it was the, you know, we can call that lazy writing. Sure, we can do that. My whole thing is overall... I really enjoyed uh, Rise of Skywalker simply because yeah. I respect Disney for admitting that they fucked up. I, I respect the hell out of yeah. that. It Disney showed me that they care about the fans' opinion. Um, so, I mean, that, to me, it was a great sentiment. Uh, but, yeah, the damage was done at that point. Like, at that point, we can't unsee what we saw in the eighth film. Yeah. Because I feel, I, I feel like 
This was such an easy trilogy to please people with. All we needed, like, you know, give us Luke Skywalker in action. Let us see him ripping Star Destroyers from the sky. Let us see how powerful he is. You know, give us Luke versus Snoke. Or or, Or somehow bring back, you know, bring back Luke Skywalker for the ninth one and give us Luke versus Palpatine. Give us that fight. Right. But they they didn't. Right. I, it was the and yet now we're about to beat the dead horse with this one, but I'm going to say it again. The biggest mistake they made was in the 8th film when they decided rather than make a good Star Wars movie, we're going to make women feel really good. That's what we're going to do. And we're going to tell all the men in the audience to go fuck themselves. Right. With Admiral Hot Topic Holdo, as I like to call her, because she looks like a fucking Hot Topic manager. Yeah. That scene where Poe is just like, what's the plan? What are we going to do? And Holdo's like, you don't need to know the plan. Right. You stupid man. Get out of here. I'm a woman. You listen to me. Right. And then, like I said, and, and then for Leia to defend that decision, I'm sitting there like, whoa, 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 whoa. Right. When was Leia ever like this? Right. Leia was always the one to make sure people were on the same page. Yeah. And left. You know, so for Leia to now be like, yeah, it, it's okay to go with this stupid fucking plan of we're just going to run. Yeah. And, and last time I checked, last time I checked, Leia was never in a position where she was downgraded as a woman. She was the one that was calling the shots on the Hoth uh, in the evacuation effort. She was the one calling the shots for the rebellion. She was the poster girl for the, re- the woman for the rebellion. She was the leader of that thing. And, and if Leia ever was that talked down to, you bet your last dollar Leia ain't going to play She's that She's not going to play that. She ain't going to. But then you've got Holdo, who's just walking around so bitchy. And, you know, and I said on one show, I said, it's not a good thing if you're a character and the coolest thing you do is kill yourself. That's not a good testament to the kind of character you were. Right. And then don't even then don't even get me started on Rose. You know, people can say whatever they want about Jar Jar being annoying. Yes, he had some lines where he was kind of annoying, but Jar Jar, in terms of being annoying, that man can't hold a candle to Rose. He can't. And he he still served a purpose in serving Padme in the Senate in her absence. I, I mean, the dumbest part of that movie where I felt like okay this is a dumb fucking political message here we go again was that line Finn is trying to sacrifice himself to save everybody right and for whatever stupid reason Rose stops him at the last sec dumbest thing I've ever seen that was the single dumbest thing in that film and then her logic she says we're not going to win this fight. I mean, you can't make this shit up. We're not going to win this fight destroying what we hate. We're going to win it saving what we love. And I'm sitting there thinking, 
what do you think he was just trying to do? That's exactly what he was trying to do is save everybody. And you stop that. Why? Like, oh, because she loved him. We're in the middle of a fucking war. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Like, we're, we're going to go out, save what we love. What are you going to do? Go out and give Kylo Ren a big hug and use the power of love to defeat the mean empire? Right. Is, is that the plan? Like, it, it and the, that, here's the irony. So stupid. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Just go ahead. No, you're good, bro. The irony about that whole situation about her stopping him is that her sister, who she cried about in the beginning, went out in the most gangster way possible, which was detonating the bombs and dropping them while her ship crashes in the middle of it in order to take down the uh, the the uh, the star destroyer stupid mistake by Poe to keep going instead of retreating but still your sister went out that exact same way being a freaking boss and doing what needed to be done and I would argue that that was one of the most epic parts about The Last Jedi if I could point out a positive thing but like so for you to stop Finn from doing the same thing was just like I'm just finding the the irony in that funny it's it's freaking hilarious bro it's hilarious I mean, but it's not even funny. It's just cringe. It, it It's absolutely asinine. Yeah. But watch. I, I mean, I can't even speak on how dumb that was. I was watching the films. And like I said, what I really hated about Last Jedi was how I had just sat through two hours of nothing. Like, just blech. And I'm thinking, okay, here we are. At the very least, I'll get this epic fight. And Star Wars, I'll forgive you for making me sit through this. I couldn't even get that. You couldn't even get that. And, and it's the prime example, the point Kanye made. You look at the prequels versus sequels. The prequels had their purpose. They all told the story, and it contributed to Star Wars. Everybody could tell that the prequels were nothing but a money, or the sequels were nothing but a money grab. Yeah. And that's the difference. One was a well-told story. The other one was not. They didn't know where they wanted to go with it. Yeah. Or actually, take it back. They do know where they wanted to go with it, but they realized we can't go there. Right. So, as it turns out, the majority of America doesn't like the SJW message. Right. Huh. Who would have thought that? Right. Who would have thunk it? The get woke, go broke. Who would have thunk it? And you don't want to take my word for it? Ask Terminator. Yeah. Ask them. Ask them what happens when you... Go ahead and ask them. That franchise is going forever. Like, it's done. I mean, in my opinion, it's done been ruined. I, I think that's another example. But the the whole point to this is, yes, Kanye is right. Star Wars got milked every last penny they could get out of Star Wars. They got their money's worth. That's all Disney cared about was making money. Yeah. George, on the other hand, had a story he wanted to tell. He told it beautifully. Yeah. And that's the difference. Yeah. And that's true. 
That is so true. And I and I hope that what Kanye said brings awareness because for the newer young for the newer younger generation of fans who are just seeing Star Wars for the first time, this is the trilogy that you're gonna have to grow up with until they make another one, if they do. But this is the one you're gonna have to grow up with. I was blessed to be with to to grow up and be born with the sequel trilogy to be born with the prequels and to have that not only the three movies but the clone wars too you know so i take pride in knowing that the era i grew up in contributed so much to star wars as a whole the original trilogy fans sure enough are proud because that's what they they started out with that you know what i'm saying but for these sequel fans I feel bad for them, for the newer generation who's just now being introduced to Star Wars, and this is the sequel they have to go with. I was tempted to tell a child. I was in Target, and I was looking at the Star Wars section because, you know, Star Wars, now that it's under Disney, they have marketing brand out the butthole, and they just have so much freaking money to spend on, you know, all of these products and everything, toys, books, all that. And this kid was over there looking with me, and... And they had all the, the Star Wars movies. They had one through six, and then they had the sequels. And then he was looking at them with me, too. And I said, kid, you know, hey, I, I was tempted to just, like, not tell him because I'm like, let him enjoy, let him pick what he wants to pick and do all that. And I look, but I'm like, no, I can't. Like, with a good heart and conscience as a Star Wars fan, I can't let I'm like, hey, kid. And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, you see those right there? The, the seven through nine, you know, Force Awakens, TLJ, and Rise Scout, we don't mess with those. That those are those suck. We don't we don't mess with those, kid. Don't touch <laughs> And I said, now that one through six over there, that's what you mess with. That's what you want to be on right there. But all that over there, you don't watch the I'm not gonna bro, I'm not gonna lead a young kid astray. Like if the sequel trilogy was actually good, I would say I would I'd be like, okay. Do that. Watch it. Maybe just wanted, but I sat there and I told that kid, I'm like, bro, I, bro, no. With knowing that I just, I spent five years going to the theaters and watching all three of these movies offer it to amount to almost nothing. I'm like, bro, nah, I, I can't. It would be a sin for me to let that kid think that he would watch those. Like, I'm like, kid, don't do that. Mess with these only. Don't mess with those other ones. You know what I'm saying? And I'm going to tell my son Asher the same thing. I'm going to tell my son the same thing. Hey, kid, we only mess with one through six. We don't mess with seven through nine. We don't know what the heck those are. Don't do if that. You're, if your son grows up and he likes the sequel trilogy more, oh, my God. <laughs> Bro, trust me, he won't because the first one he's he's going to watch is Phantom Menace, then Attack of the Clones, then Revenge of the Sith. No, Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, and then we're going to watch all of the Clone Wars, and then we're going to watch Revenge of the Sith, and then the original trilogy, and then that's it. I'm not letting them touch anything else to Star Wars, except for the Mandalorian, and, you know, if they manage to come out with something actually good for for the trilogy again. Rogue One. You can't deprive that boy of Rogue One. Oh, yeah, Rogue One, too. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, my mistake. Rogue One as well. All right. Hey, bro, real quick. Yes. Real quick. I know it's late, and I know this is a longer podcast, but if I could get 20 more minutes on this thing, there's one final topic that I we always have fun discussing. 
And if we could get 20 more minutes, I get, then we got one more topic. I give you 15. 15 will work. Because one of our favorite things to talk about, or one of my favorite things at least, All to right. talk about on this show, outside of geeking out over Star Wars and Batman and all that, we love talking about sports on this show. Yeah. Primarily college football. Um, and I've been wanting to ask you this for a couple of days. I haven't been able to talk to you since Saturday. Yeah. So Auburn Tigers, they got a W. We did. They picked up the W. We did. You know, there's some controversy there about the did the ball touch the old Miss player or the Auburn player's leg and should did that play count? Whatever. You know me, I'm not big on plays and rest deciding game. Yeah. Let me get your opinion. Did that game at all change how you feel about Auburn right now? I didn't even watch. Damn. Tell you that. I didn't even watch. Here's why. In the words of Stephen A., let me tell you why. Because the fashion in which we play, because I understand the, the, the circumstances surrounding the season. I understand the circumstances with COVID and everything. It's not the full playoff picture and everything. Like, I understand all that. But oh, 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 oh. I'm sorry to cut you off, but let me say this. Let me say this. Let me say this. Sorry to cut you off. Very sorry. I don't want to hear out of any sports fan, and I, I don't know if you were going that direction. I don't want to hear COVID as an excuse. No, because, uh-uh. because, that's not because, what I was going Because real quick, here's an announcement that maybe people don't know. Everyone's going through it. Like It's yeah. not like we're not all going through COVID. We're all going through COVID. Every team has had the same thing impact them. So I don't want to hear COVID. If anybody wants to bring up COVID, that's why your team's not doing good. You know, people try to do it with LeBron. Like, oh, he only won because COVID. COVID affected everybody, bro. Right. Made and it harder. Fact, and, and the fact LeBron was able to stay focused, he's, you know, that's why he's so great. But anyways, man, go ahead and continue about Auburn. Yeah, that, that's not the way, that's not the direction I was going at all. What I was saying is that the 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 overall playoff picture pre-COVID and, and prayfully post-COVID is shaped by who plays the most dominant. That is the direction in which the rankings are. Even if you win, if you win a sloppy game, you you could still drop a spot or two or three in the rankings, depending. If you lose, you could drop down a, a few more spots than that. But other than that, it's all about domination of play. That's why teams like Clemson, Ohio State, Alabama – that's why guys like that remain in the top ranks because they're they don't just win games, they win games dominantly and they play well. That's what it's all about. Auburn, even though we're winning, and I'm glad we won. I wasn't gonna sit there and complain about a win, but the way we played still affects us in the rankings. That still affects that we can't play like that every game and expect an officiating mistake or an officiating error or whatever to bail us out. We can't play like that. That's not going to work against Alabama. That's not going to work. Now, if we play well and the game just goes down to the wire, okay, that's fine. We can talk that. That's cool. But to play terrible is a 
and win is a totally different thing entirely as, to, as far as college football rankings are concerned. And we've seen that happen before where we played garbage and still won and stayed in the same ranking spot or dropped lower. We've seen that happen before. So, you know, I mean, no, it, 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 I didn't even watch the game, bro, because I'm like, I'm not excited about the way we're playing. We're not playing dominant football. We're not playing the necessary football that it takes to get us back to where we want to be. And it's got to change because any more of this or any more slip ups, you know, especially if we lose to Alabama and there's no SEC championship for us, we're done. We're out. And I don't care about a bowl game. I don't watch bowl games. I hate bowl games. Here's a participation trophy for going 10 and 2. And where's the national championship at? Don't care. That's not what? Oh, no, okay, okay. I'll let you have that. I'm not even going to be mad. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. Sorry. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's all right. But, but I... overall, but overall, yeah, that is like, we, we, we're not dominant right now. We're not playing dominant good well, football. Well, re- real quick, and I'm honestly not going to troll because, you know, I, I just – I mean, Auburn fans are doing enough beating themselves up. I don't have to say anything. Uh, but, you know, I, I will say this. You know, a lot of people are really riding Bo Nix's nuts right now, uh, talking about how good he played. The only thing I'll say to that is, yes, Bo Nix played well, but you were also playing the worst passing defense in the SEC. So, had Bo Nix not played well against Ole Miss, then I would have been like, all right, it's time to sound the alarm. It's time to get rid of Bo Nix. You got to do something. Um, But, you know, I'm going to give Auburn credit where credit's due. They got the win. I think Ole Miss, even though they don't have a defense, they are a respectable team. This is a team that has caused by far the most stress on me of any team this season. That Ole Miss-Alabama game had me about ready to shit myself. I was not happy. Like, dude. Like, I was telling people, had it not been for three terrible snaps, God knows how that game could have went. Right. So, but let me get your opinion on this. Because, you know, Auburn, they got a big game coming up. I don't know if either team will be ranked playing. Because, you know, they both won, so it might be possible. Yeah. Auburn hosts, you know, even though, you know, we're in the year of COVID, so home field advantage is basically non-existent. Uh Auburn's got LSU coming to Tigertown. Yeah. Be honest, objective. Okay. What does your gut tell you is going to happen? Does Auburn win this game? We write, you know, Auburn starts riding the ship, or is this season, you know, does LSU win, and Auburn can basically go ahead and hang their, you know, hang it up for this year? Um, my gut feeling tells me that Auburn can win. We have more than a good enough chance to win this game. We're talking about an LSU team who got 
you know, got their feelings hurt by Missouri. They lost the close one to Missouri. That's not one they lose. They've been winning every single game so far this season, you know, and balling out. But that loss to Missouri really dethroned them, you know, put that one loss on their record. But as it stands, their their record. Huh? And Mississippi State. Did you forget about them? Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. And Mississippi State. But as it stands, you know, they're, they're the previous national title holders, and and they can bounce back from that. But I believe that Auburn has more than enough chance to win this game. This is just a battle of two teams who have been to the mountaintop before, who are now – who have been knocked down very low. And um, it's, it's just, just going to be a battle of, of seeing who is going to get up and who's going to stay down, who's going to perform excellently and, and, and you know – perform dominantly and who's just going to like do enough to scrape by. That's what this game is all about. And so I think Auburn has more than enough chance to, uh, to win. If we can clean up this offensive play, um, we can get our defense back on track. If we can do that, then we should be able to scrape it out. But, but I'm not letting you get off the hook with that. No, you're, you're, I'm not trying to get off the hook. I'm just saying yep. it is. I'm facing the blunt reality. I, it is what I, I don't know what LSU holds. I need a definitive answer from you, Eric. Who wins this game? Is it Auburn or is it LSU? What does your gut tell you? Jesus Christ! Don't make me do this, bro. Don't make me do this. I'm not the mom. I'm Auburn making team. you do it. I need to hear you say who's gonna win. My gut. My pride tells me Auburn's going to win. My gut tells me it's going to be LSU. Oh! Damn. Well, let me make you feel better, all right? I'm going to be honest with you here. I might be wrong. I think, and and, and I, I can't really base this off of anything outside of just this gut feeling that I have, because I've watched them blue and orange sons of bitches do this before, um, where they get off to sloppy starts and people start saying, oh, look at Auburn, they're trash again. And then at some point in the middle of the season, Auburn says, you know what, let's play football. And then the miracles start happening. And and then before you fucking know it, Auburn's done screwed around and ended up in Atlanta. I do not believe <laughs> Auburn will go to Atlanta because they already have two SEC losses and Alabama is currently undefeated. So that means Alabama has to lose a game before they play Auburn and Auburn has to beat them and Auburn has to win out to make it to Atlanta. Yeah. Having said that, I believe, I really believe in my heart of hearts, Eric Houston, and, and this may shock people. I never thought I'd say this. I got Auburn winning this one. I, wow. I really do. I, I've got Auburn, and I'm going to tell you why. LSU, their defense showed up for the first time last week against South Carolina. That was the first time I even knew LSU had a defense. 
Yeah. Uh, I think Auburn. I think they feel. You know, I don't. I think the players might be feeling good about themselves right now. Cause say what you will about the sloppy win. I would take yeah. a sloppy win over a pretty loss any day of the week. Any day of the week. Give me the ugly win over the pretty loss. You know what I mean? So, yeah. And I like – I think it's more likely that Kevin Steele's defense can slow down and stop all, uh, LSU's passing attack I think that's more likely than LSU's defense stopping Auburn. Now, yes, Auburn's offense has not looked good, but neither has LSU's defense. So I really like Kevin Steele in this game. Notice I'm not giving Gus Malzahn any props. Gus Gus Malzahn is yet to – like that Auburn offense, I mean, you were playing the worst defense in the SEC last week and still look shitty. So, at times. But, you know, I, I like Kevin Steele. I really do. All the shit I talk about Auburn at the end of the day, I do respect Kevin Steele. I do think he's a good defensive coordinator, and I do think Auburn will – I think it will be close. Make no mistake about it. This will be a damn good game. But I think when it matters most, close game, Jordan Hare, miracles happen, Kevin Steele defense – Give me Auburn in a 30 – give me Auburn in a 34-31 victory. Yeah. That, that's what that's – I, I got Auburn in 34-31. I think – 34-31? Yeah, I think in this game, I, I believe we'll see Gus Malzahn tell Chad Morris, I've let you run this offense into the ground. You're – you see, the thing about Auburn, I don't think they're going to win big games if they're relying on Bo Nix to be the reason they win throwing the football. Because yeah. that's never worked for them. I was looking up stats. In the Iron Bowl last year, they won. Bo Nix did not play well. He was 15 of 30, one touchdown, one interception. He did just yeah. enough to not lose. It was Auburn's running attack that got Alabama. And right now, Auburn has a damn good running back. And what's his name? Tank Bigsby? Is that it? Yeah. That dude's good. Like, he's really good. I don't know if he's Najee Harris good, but, you know, he's he's good. (laughs) Uh, But, I mean, I really do. I'm not trying to blow smoke. I think Auburn gets this win. Um, and you know, honestly, I'm about to pull a Stephen A. Smith here. Like he does with the Cowboys. I want Auburn to win this game. I really, yeah. you know why I want Auburn to win this game? Because it's no fun playing Auburn when they know they're going to lose. That's no fun. I don't like that because I, I, I relived this in 2012. I, I was at that Iron Bowl in 2012 when Bama won 49 nothing and Auburn was 3-9, and nine, and everybody knew what was going to happen. I mean, was it fun beating Auburn? Yes. But it's, it's not fun when you know you're going to win. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like, Auburn, I need y'all to play better. Please. Please play better. 
so you think you're going to win. I want you to think you're going to win. And this isn't directed at you, Eric. You know, I love you. You're my boy. Yeah, I know. There's just some Auburn fans out there who I need their hopes to get up. And then, you know, Coach Saban can be the one to rip that shit out. But the way things are going, I'm scared that Auburn, the the Auburn that shows up to Bryant-Denny will be just a shell of a man. Because I think this game against LSU, this is do or die for Auburn. If you want to be anything, if Auburn loses this game, I fully expect them to just say hell with it. Why bother? You're three and three. You know good and damn well you have no chance at going to Atlanta. You have no chance of going to the playoffs. You have no chance of doing anything. So, yeah. And plus, to make matters worse, you're going to Bryant-Denny. Why is that so important? Because Auburn has won there one time in Nick Saban's entire tenure. And they had a generationally great quarterback to do it. And even then, they won by one point. And I like Bo Nix. But if we're being honest, if you if you could rather have Bo Nix or Cam Newton, who are you taking? Right. So, I mean, but, but seriously, though, all trolling aside, all joking, all joking aside, and if anybody listening thinks I'm being a dick right now, let me say this. You guys didn't see the messages Eric sent me during the Iron Bowl last year. Y'all didn't see that. Nope. Y'all did not see that. I was happy. This I was I was every fucking touchdown. It was like Clark Gores. My Snapchat blows up. Message Eric Houston. And I'm like, oh God, I know what this <laughs> is. I open up the phone. There's Eric. Let's go. Let's go. War Eagle. War yeah. Eagle. War dude. Wiggle, 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 shut your fucking mouth. And, you know, that's what I have all, to listen to. And then all that, I have, all that just to be destroyed like the very next week because we lose to Minnesota in a in a bowl game. Oh, and that was so beautiful to watch for me. But you know what? I knew it was coming because that's what happens. Auburn did win the national championship last year because they beat Alabama. That is their national championship game. So look here, bro. I don't need you to disparage on me the glory days. You know what I'm 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 looking at the kick six right now just to remember what it felt like to be an Auburn fan. Don't like, bro. I'm having to reminisce. And that was like, how long bro. ago? That was how long ago? That was like seven that was that was almost a decade ago. I mean almost a decade ago. I mean almost five, six, God, seven. Was one direction even out then? Man, I don't know. And, then, then I'm gonna go back and rewatch the 2010 national championship because that was the only time we got there. You know what? But, I'm gonna do. I, I think I might rewatch the 2009 or 11 or 12 or 15 or 17 national championship. You know what? I'm not, I'm, getting, I'm getting off the line with you. Yeah. I'm so sick of you, bro. <laughs> I gotta pick. With Eric, which one do you think I should watch? It's hard to pick. I've got all these national championships to watch. God. It's, it's so – oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. A national championship is what happens when, you know, you, you win all your games 
And then... <laughs> you know what? Eric, I'm you just, open, I'm look. just in, I'm going to just enjoy this clip of these Alabama fans walking out the stadium thinking they won the 2013 Iron Bowl. I'm just enjoy that. Just let me have that. I'm oh, just enjoy that. You can have it you want. You can, because guess what, Eric? Alabama's won two national championships and three SEC championships since that kick. So, <laughs> we're good. I'm not even, I'm not even gonna. I'm not even gonna. Because it's like, it's like people listening right now. I know people are thinking, man, Evan's being a real asshole right now to Eric. He's being a real jerk. There's, there's, nothing, there's nothing I can say. I can't yeah, talk any noise. What, why is Evan being like, you know why Evan's being like this? You know why? Because the other person on this show right now, I'm not going to name names, Eric, started this. I was not going to talk trash during last year's Iron Bowl. I wasn't going to say nothing. Even if Bama won, I'd have kept my peace. But a, <laughs> but a certain someone, there's a certain Auburn fan who was so happy I had to hear it. I had, and I told Eric that night. I said, "Eric, you better pray right now that Bama never beats Auburn again." Because, <laughs> and it's looking like you didn't pray hard enough, Mister. <laughs> Bro, because <laughs> I'm telling you now, folks. If Alabama wins the Iron Bowl this year, we're gonna have a special J House. And it's going to be special because it'll be live streamed. You'll see me and Eric because I'll be in Mobile wearing my houndstooth jacket, my national championship ring from 2015. I got one of those. And it's going to be a great show. It's going to be a great show. Jesus Christ. And Eric, I'm not even- here's the beautiful thing. And this is what you can sleep with. You started this you that's fine I'm not, look we don't get many times like this where we've won two back-to-back iron bowls we won in 2017 2018 season and then we won in the 2018 2019 season y'all, this doesn't y'all happen ever won back-to-back iron bowls against Saban. what do you t- was it we won in 2017. Right. Oh, wait. Oh, I'm discounting. Am I discounting the 2018 you season? Lost too? in 2018 and won in 2019. Okay. Correct. Okay. Correct. We've won two out of the last three matchups. It's an exciting time. We're not not going to talk noise and brag about it. We're just not. We're just not. And if it consoles you any little bit, it wasn't personally directed at you. I wasn't going to like. Oh, no, Eric. Eric, listen, my feelings are fine. My feelings. Oh, I know. If anything, I felt bad for you when you were sending me all those trash talking clips because I'm thinking this is their one year. I'm going to let them have it. But that was my mentality at first. But then it kept coming and it kept coming and it kept coming. And I kept having to see WDE, WDE, WDE all over my Snapchat. So, Eric, after November, you can expect a lot of RMFTs on your Snapchat. And if anybody's uh, unclear as to what RMFT stands for, I got my Guinness in my hand, and maybe that's why I'm so high on Bama right now. Uh, 
roll motherfucking tide. And that's the war, war damn eagle, whole ass. Nigga. And that's the message I'm sending to everybody in Tennessee right now. Roll motherfucking tide. Fourteen years, bitches. Fourteen years you boys have been losing. Folks, think about this. The last time Tennessee beat Alabama, George Bush was president and had two years left on his term. George Bush. So we went through eight years of Barack Obama and zero Tennessee victories of Alabama. We've gone through four years of President Trump, zero victories on Alabama. I mean, Tennessee. But don't worry, Tennessee. Like Jeremy Pruitt said, the gap is closing. Even though you just lost 48 to 17, I don't know what game he was watching. I don't know. The gap, yeah. I didn't see any gap closing. I saw a lot of touchdowns being scored, but, uh, <clears throat> you know, that's just what we do. Notice I didn't post anything about, well, I did post one thing about beating Tennessee because I'd been drinking that day and I was feeling good. <laughs> you were feeling it. You were feeling it. Sorry. I was. Don't. <laughs> On a normal day, I don't post that because I expect Bama to do that. Like, you're Tennessee. Yeah. Come on. Like, you guys really didn't think you were going to win that game. Come on. You had to have known. <laughs> Georgia had to have known, too. But, you know, it is what it is. It is what it is. The only team on my mind right now, I'm going to be honest, there's only one team I'm thinking about. And it's a team that Bama owes a lot of payback to. We owe payback on this team, and damn it, I think we're going to get it. And that is the team in South Carolina, quarterback by Goldilocks, Clemson. God, we owe Clemson some serious payback. It's tied up at 2-2, and I hope we can get back there. And I think we're I think we're going to get back there, and we're going to send Goldilocks home, just like Joe Burrow did. (laughs) Y'all just might, man. Y'all just might. We'll see how it all unfolds. But this was a good one, man. This was a good one. It was, man. Forgive my long rants about Bama. I just, you know, it's just, you know, Auburn won one game, and now my my Facebook's blowing up. I'm like, I'm like, (laughs) y'all motherfuckers, you won one game. Yeah, good job. Chill. Holler at Alabama when, you know, come play us, and then you can holler at me. But, you know, just, yeah, y'all got the last Iron Bowl win. I'm about down to that. Good job. You got the win. I got to respect that. But uh, it's a new year. Yeah. And it, it, and is. it seems like. I'm going to end the podcast on this. I feel like there's a high tide warning coming in, if anybody gets what I'm putting down. <laughs> wow. And, and we all know one thing. Tigers can't swim in high tide. Mm. You know what? I'm not, I'm not even going to let that slide. I'm not even going to say nothing. I'm Bro, let I love you. I'm sorry. This is a good one. It's all good. All right. It's cool. It's cool. (laughs) But yeah, man, this was fun, man. This one was fun. Thanks to everyone who tuned in on uh, on, uh, 
that's going to listen to it on Vero. You can follow us there, J House Comics, Insta at J House Comics, Twitter at J House Comics. We appreciate you guys for tuning in. Appreciate your boy Evan always for his fresh, fresh views, man. Appreciate it, man. All right, bro. Peace. All right. Thank you for joining. This has been another edition of J House Radio.